Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling event from a streaming service. That classic pro wrestling event could be a pay-per-view, it could be a TV special, a big arena show, uh, pretty much anything that isn't weekly television. And we are back to finish off talking about WrestleMania 19, March 30th, 2003, from Safeco Field in Seattle. The first half of the show is in the books, and now we've we've had our terrible intermission, and we are ready for some great wrestling to finish out this show. I don't think either of us, by the way, listened to any Limp Biscuit in between uh, parts one and two of this show. I guarantee I did not, and I guarantee someone's going to tweet something at me that's, that has Fred Durst <laughs> in it uh, after this. Uh, so... I look forward to it. <laughs> we open the show. Uh, we open the the, the the second half of this show with the world's heavyweight championship. The champion is Triple H, and he's managed by Ric Flair. And the challenger. And he's not only he's not only managed by Ric Flair. By the way, this is Triple H doing his one hundred percent Ric Flair cosplay deal. He is. <laughs> dressed like Ric Flair would. He's gotten himself a, a group like Ric Flair would. He has Ric Flair as his manager. He is everything Ric Flair, except for none of the things that are good about Ric Flair as a performer. And Ric Flair as a performer is so great in this match. We will get to that. Um, uh, my, my takeaway from Ric Flair in this match is that Ric Flair should have still been wrestling in WWE at this point. 100%, that was, that was yes. Born out by many years later when he was older and not as capable of being in the ring as he would be uh, still at this point, he was still great then. The challenger is Booker T. Now, last time on this podcast, we, we had a great Booker T match. It was uh, him winning the title at the terrible Bash at the Beach 2000 show. So we're big Booker T fans on this show now. Absolutely. Going back to his Harlem Heat days, going back to his days, at least I do, in global, global? wrestling. Oh, no, I, I, I watched Stevie ESPN uh, global. Running absolutely. home from junior high or, uh, to watch <laughs> some global, catch the end of global on ESPN. Now I'm pretty sure that watching this match, I'm like, is was watching this video package, I'm like, was the buildup for this match Booker T couldn't be champion because he's black. Yeah, I will get into it as this goes along. This is, I don't know that I've ever been more infuriated watching something in professional wrestling than I was watching this video package and then watching this match. I watched this show uh, live on pay-per-view. I recall and have you know read people's recollections of this storyline and the culmination of it in this match. I was still not prepared for how viscerally angry this would make me as yes, we have the video package where Triple H says to Booker T that you are a common street thug and someone like you doesn't get to be world champion. Someone like you and and Lawler will That's say that repeatedly throughout this match and JR calls him out on it constantly oh, yeah. like like well, what are you trying to say there king what, why don't you tell me what you really mean <laughs> it's it, i i've never hated jerry lawler more i've never hated an announcer more uh than i have here in this match with jerry lawler uh, it starts even as in booker t's entrance uh, lawler's talking about how you know the story of booker t's been on his own since he was 12 when his mom died all you true know, he stuff. made some bad yeah, exactly. Real life stuff, which again, this build to this match was using Booker T's real life, you know, 
uh, hard knock sort of history, you know, fighting against the odds and, and making something of his life and getting to this point of, you know, having a shot at the world title at WrestleMania, uh, you know, a redemption story, a, a make good story. We have J- Jim Ross laying that out. And then Lawler uh, starts talking about, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you sure we want a world champion that has Johnny Cochran on speed dial? Ugh, you know, so and this bad. just and that was the least offensive thing no, he said it, in this match to give you an idea. Meanwhile, uh, Jim Ross is trying to to counteract this by saying how much he admires Booker T. Uh, the only point of unity between the two announcers in this match is when they both took shots at WCW <laughs> as Nick Patrick read the rules of this match, because if there's anything you can count on in a WWE pay-per-view, it's them finding a way to continue fighting the war that's already over with WCW. Which, uh, which really, you know, you would think that they would be putting over Booker T as a challenger a, a le- that has a legit chance to win because he, you know, the as a WCW five-time a WCW five champion. Time. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, winning the, you know, being a WCW champion, uh, you, you could have said, you know, hey, that was a that was a big deal. There were some good guys that that were there at the time that he beat, and uh, uh, it it really was a, a thing, and you really could have made it seem like it was an accomplishment, but they just couldn't help themselves and had to they literally bury say him. that it's a joke. They literally say WCW is a joke. They say that him winning the championship was a joke. And again, this is a couple years into them owning the rights to everything WCW. There's, you're 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 not winning a war here. You're just you're just cutting yourself off at the knees. Just impossibly stupid. And we have basically as the match starts, Lawler continues saying very very thinly veiled racist stuff from the beginning and does not stop. At least the match was good. Uh, back, yeah, because the, the buildup is terrible. The announcing is terrible. Everything is terrible, except the match was actually good. Big chops back and forth to start out. People are getting behind Booker. He's immediately cut off with a spine buster by Triple H. We got a good comeback by Booker T. Hard shots, good kicks. Well, how about Booker very early hitting an arm drag off the top rope? Triple H goes to the top and he's in full flare cosplay mode. I'm expecting him to get, uh, you know, get press slammed off the top rope. Instead, Booker runs up the ropes and hits him with an arm drag. Yeah, Booker looked great early here, except for when he hit a much less good spine buster on Triple H. Yes, uh, <laughs> this was not. This was not, in the pantheon of great Booker T spine busters throughout the years. This one would be uh, several pages down the list. Triple H tries to come off the second turnbuckle, but eats a super kick by Booker. Perfectly yes. timed. This was awesome. Sort of a flying super kick, almost like a like a jump sidekick. And he just, yeah, he nails him with it, but he nails him with it in a perfect pro wrestling way. It wasn't like he actually killed him, no, but it, it sure looked like pro he did. wrestling. Yeah. Booker T goes for another kick, but Triple H moves. Booker ends up crotching himself on the top rope out to the floor. And here, Flair picks up Booker like he's going to drop Booker's leg across his knee. You know, classic Flair figure four setup. But instead, he drops him knee first across the ring steps. That was that was great. So now this is going to yes. injure Booker's leg for the rest of the match. Flair on the outside is going absolutely nuts. He's going berserk, cheering on Triple H. He is amazing at ringside. He's an amazing oh, yeah. manager at ringside. So he great. was, yeah, he was great. He was great at being Ric Flair while not taking away from the match, but he was, he was 
at his Ric Flair best. We also have when that spot happens on the steps, Lawler is saying that that uh, Flair was just trying to help him back in the ring, and Jar <laughs> Jim Ross loses it and says that logic went out in 1982. Like he just he completely goes nuts. So there's that. Then we have an awesome spot where Triple H goes for his Indian Deathlock. Uh, in, initially gets a regular Indian deathlock, then rolls over to his stomach and presses up. Jim Ross is losing his mind over like, you know, I haven't seen this move in a decade. And I'm thinking back and saying, well, yeah, that's true for the most part, but neither of them realized that this was Triple H's finisher in WCW as Terror Rising, which we talked about in 1995. I remember him, you know, having that brief cup of coffee in WCW and he lost the match to Alex Wright at Starcade, I believe, 94 really wasn't seen again, but he used this as his finisher. So I loved that he was going against a WCW guy and he pulled out his old WCW finisher against him. This Indian deathlock was awesome. And this move should come back. Especially the second, the second half of it where he he gets him in it and then rolls over to his stomach. Well, well, I like, I like the first half of it. Yeah. I like the first half of it too, where he's like using his other leg to push on it for additional pressure, then rolls it over that, this move yeah. should come back, but probably with a different name in 2020. But uh, yes. th- it was perfectly executed here. This th- this was great. And one of my favorite things happens here where Triple H, you know, he's been working over Booker's leg this whole time. He, he tries to whip Booker into the corner, but he collapses due to the damage done to his knee. I love that every single time. Yes, Booker absolutely. was fantastic here. It shows your. It shows that the injury is so severe that it subverts the laws of wrestling physics. That when you get thrown into the ropes, you have to keep running. He just couldn't do it. Meanwhile, Jerry Lawler is still. He's saying Booker has made wrong decisions all his life. A few minutes earlier, he makes a, a horrible comment. What was the quote that Booker T's family portrait is a courtroom sketch? Yes. Like I, I, I was just like, how did this make air? How is this? flair it's just it's completely indefensible no it was awful especially in 2003 it's bad enough when you see really overt (laughs) stuff when you're watching like mid-south from 1983 yeah this is 2003 in the wwe they were all in on all in on a racial angle in 2003 this is it was not great and and so the what was great was flair on the outside screaming Get up, you damn fool. <laughs> yes, at Booker. That was fantastic. Triple H, he goes for the pedigree. Booker scoops the legs out. Triple H, from his back, kicks Booker, who squashes Nick Patrick in the corner, but he's okay. This needs to come back, where the referee uh, can get touched and doesn't automatically, he's not murdered just yes. by f- having physical contact with a wrestler. I liked that Nick Patrick was like, I got squashed. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, I, w- I will say I was a little bit disappointed in the moment because very few re- uh, referees take a ref bump better than uh, than Nick Patrick. It's You it, kind of think someone's on the grassy knoll when he goes <laughs> down. But um, no, he uh, he absorbed the contact here. He's a, he's a large man. He's about the size of a lot of these wrestlers. So he absorbs the contact and, uh, and keeps going. Booker had a roll-up for a near fall, follows it up by nailing the axe kick, but 
He's too weak. And that was his finisher at this point because the bookend was the same move basically as the rock bottom. And you can't have two guys with the same finisher here uh, in this company. So, yeah, the axe kick was his move. But he was too weak to cover right away. He can only get the arm over. So, Triple H kicks out. Remember that, by the way, for a couple minutes from now. So, this was, uh, we saw a similar spot in the uh, Chris Jericho Shawn Michaels. We We see it here. Just it's a, been established on this show that if you get hit with, or if you hit someone with the finisher, but it takes you a little while to get there, the, the opponent is going to kick out. Especially if you can only get an arm over. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, Booker T to the top rope. He nails Flair, who tries to interfere, and Flair goes down in spectacular fashion. <laughs> I loved Ric Flair taking this bump here. Yes, and then... Triple H uh, catches Booker, who had been distracted by this, goes for the superplex. Booker punches him off, and then Flair tries to catch him again on the apron. Booker fights him off again, so that was awesome. That was you know sort of a little unsurprise or a little surprising kind of flip of the script for outside interference. Then Booker on the top rope, talk about resurrecting old WCW finishers. Booker T hits the Harlem Hangover. That's which right. is a somersault leg drop off the top rope by a man that's got to be 6'3", 6'4", uh, pro wrestling weight, at least 250, 260 pounds. Holy, yeah, yeah this was, was awesome. That was awesome. JR is screaming. He was screaming about how Flair has no business being up there. He's doing his damnedest to make this match important, despite Jerry Lawler trying to make it not seem that way. And JR continues his greatness all night. And he's After- angry, by the way, because, yeah, in addition to the the clearly racist stuff that, uh, that Jerry Lawler is saying, Jerry Lawler is also just completely taking the wind out of, out of the sails of this match, as Jim Ross is rightfully so, trying to make this seem like an epic struggle. Lawler is just completely blowing it off. And, and <laughs> there's also, in this match, on top of the racist stuff from Lawler, we have something else that continues as the show goes along where he keeps saying this is WrestleMania. Oh, <laughs> and and JR gets so mad and Lawler clearly recognizes this or again was told by Vince to go in on this. And he particularly as we go along the last couple of matches, he says it over and over and over again, trying to get Lawler or trying to get Ross to react on air. It is, if you're paying attention closely, it's one of the more uncomfortable shows to watch from an announcer uh, chemistry standpoint with Lawler and Ross on here, which is shocking considering how long they work together. And, and, you know, it usually wasn't like this. No. And, and Jr. was so great though. And (laughs) the, so after the Harlem hangover, this is a huge move, like you like you mentioned. We uh, Flair ends up putting Triple H's foot on the bottom rope to break up the pin. Booker goes off the top looking for the axe kick again, but crumbles to the ground with his injured knee. And Triple H hits a pedigree, doesn't cover right away, gets the hand on him, one, two, three. He gets the pin. Still heavyweight champion Triple H. Booker does not kick out. This finish was a burial six feet underground oh, of Booker T. This whole thing, the all of it was unforgivable. The, the racist storyline, 
the racist announcing, the fact that you're at least expecting that the guy who is clearly the face and the underdog and who's being told that he does not deserve to be the champion because of quote unquote who he is, you're expecting he's going to, you know, he's going to be vindicated. He's going to get his victory in the end. He loses. He's made fun of throughout the match. Uh, and he loses in a way that makes him look like an absolute geek compared to every other main eventer on this show who was able to kick out from this exact same situation. So this was yeah, one went... of, like I said, the most offensive on three or four different levels matches and storylines that I've seen in my 36 years as a pro wrestling fan. No, this was awful. So I had to go back and like refresh my memory on like, did, was, was everyone outraged? Am I looking at this through 2020 eyes or no, is you're everybody not. out as outraged as me? And I went back and everybody hated this angle going into yes. this. And some tried to defend the racial angles leading up to the match by saying that since Booker was going to win at the end, which was the original plan, it was okay. Yes, that was that would be, even though it's not defensible, that would only be the moderately logical, reasonable defense to this was that you have a a dastardly heel who's saying and doing horrible things, but he's going to get his comeuppance. But once, yeah, once they decided that Triple H was going to win this match, they stopped doing the racial angles on television. And that was, so, so you. But they you didn't could, stop using, they still use them in the video package here. But they still used it here and they still had Lawler doing all of this stuff here. This was the match where JR has had enough of Lawler's crap, like we mentioned. Uh, Jair is amazing for the rest of the show, and he does a great job of keeping Lawler in check the rest of the way, too. I think Lawler he just, yeah, realized he, he might have gone a little too far here. Yes and no. He shuts him. I mean, Jair does a good job the rest of the show of shutting him down, but I disagree that Lawler realizes that he's gone too far because in the in the other matches that he calls on the rest of the show, uh, particularly the, the Austin... Rock match, he keeps still doing the this is WrestleMania. He goes to thing the and, this is WrestleMania thing. Yeah, he, that's and that. you can hear it. You can hear it in his voice. Yep. You can hear it in his voice what he's trying to do with that. It's it, it's unmistakable. 18 minutes, 47 seconds in this match. The action in this match was good. Absolutely. It's just everything, everything else around about it. it. The finish, the announcing, and everything around this match is just garbage. No, the finish is was yeah, it, for all the stuff they did for them to finish this way and to and you know and apparently this had come on the heels of of similar burials of other guys who were getting the main event push like oh, Rob Van Dam. Well, I also can't remember if it was I believe it was around the same time when they brought in Scott Steiner and then and then Triple H did everything he possibly could to sandbag Steiner and make him look bad yeah, every, in their match after Steiner initially when they brought him in and they started building to that feud he was over and it was working. Sure, and then, absolutely. And then it wasn't. Vince McMahon versus Hulk Hogan in a street fight. Now, this is one of the matches you could have considered to have been the main event. The this got the most some of the most television time leading up to WrestleMania. So while uh while not in the final position, while still two more matches to go, this match was considered you know, one of the, the biggest trusts. It's actually on the cover of the DVD is is Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan in this street fight. In the Yeah, and it is it is bizarre um to think that this is actually a professional wrestling match that's happening. Uh, but the video package is actually great 
Uh, it's disappointing that it's Cole calling this, but the uh, you know they talk about it being 20 years in the making. The video package chronicles the history between these two men, and they they interweave sort of storyline with reality uh, as they talk about uh, Hogan turning on Vince in the steroid trial and testifying against him uh, as that being what they, what planted the seed you know for wait, wait, Vince they, to hate Hogan. They showed footage from the steroid trial. And yeah, Vince McMahon is legit wearing a neck brace. I cried with yes. laughter. I had no idea that he legit had a neck brace on for this yes. trial. Oh, carny uh, to the end, for sure. I, I need um, to go back and and reread everything about that trial. We we don't have time to talk about it now. That's not why you called. We got to talk about this match. But yeah, we holy cow, I was, I was crying with laughter. This video package was fantastic. They talked about Hogan leaving for WCW. And how that just stabbed Vince in the back. Well, and then they go like they go overboard. And this is clearly a Vince-fed line to to Cole before the show, where, where they talk about that he's like he attacked Hogan's or he attacked Vince McMahon's family, You're trying to trying to put the family out of business. Like we're we're seriously trying to make Vince McMahon the babyface here. No, it, but it, it was a great video package. Twenty years trying to build up this match is twenty years in the making, and we we've. We, we see footage of the contract signing of this match. Yes. Vince hits Hogan with a chair during the, the contract signing, stabs him with the pen, and then signs Hogan's name on the contract with his own blood while Vince is screaming, he's going to kill Hulkamania. If, this, this was a, a pretty cool-looking angle yes. <laughs> from yes. the video package. I don't know how it played on television, but the... The, the common theme of this show was whoever was putting together the video packages in WWE in 2003 should have gotten an Emmy Award because they were off the charts perfection, every if single not, one. If I'm not mistaken, and maybe the timeline is wrong, but I believe the guy that did a lot of at least the video opens and maybe the packages as well was that David Sahadi, who eventually then went to TNA. And did some of their their you know very good video opens or video Whoever packages. Whoever it was, it was uh, it, fantastic work up and down this show with these video packages. This was no different. Absolutely, we're, we're told that if Hogan loses, his career is over. Well, not only is his career in WWE over. At one point, Michael Cole says and and Taz agrees with him that if he loses, he will not be allowed to wrestle anywhere in the world. <laughs> and so we get. Hogan's entrance, we get knockoff voodoo child music. Yes. Hogan used Jimi Hendrix voodoo child as his theme song in WCW. And again, here in WWE. And it was such a cool theme song. It, the, I loved Hogan coming out to voodoo child. I loved it so much, Adam, that I actually <laughs> used it at my wedding in 2005. Oh my God. When when they and you still got and she still married you. When they introduced the bride and the groom for the first time, we entered the wedding reception. We came out to Voodoo Child, and I guarantee. Did you have a fur? Did you have a, a feather boa, a, a black and white or red and yellow feather boa? Did you, one of you go with the NWO boa? The other one with the Hulkamania boa? Oh no! I guarantee my wife does not know. Fifteen years later, what song we used for our entrance. <laughs> Or that it was Hulk Hogan's theme song at the time? No, absolutely not. She has Do you no, think it would no have idea. been a bit too obvious if you came out to the real, the Hulk Hogan, real American? <laughs> real American theme would song? have been a little too much, a little too much. But uh, 
Yeah, one year prior, I was in Toronto. I was sitting seventh row on the floor of Sky Dome for Hogan and Rock. And that was one of the most amazing live wrestling experiences I've ever had. That crowd atmosphere for that match was unreal. We t- we well, talk about yeah. We talked about the behind it was that Hulk Hogan was the heel going into that match. He was still Hollywood Hogan. Yep. In the brief NWO. Uh, the brief NWO Redux in in the WWF where Vince McMahon said he was going to unleash the poison of the NWO and kill his own company, the WWF. And so it was Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. Rock is the face. Hogan is the heel. That's not how it worked out. No, it's very it's a very similar dynamic to our Canadian Stampede show that we reviewed uh, in, in the archives of uh, of this podcast, where we talked about how amazing that crowd heat was and how the usual baby faces and the usual heels had had flipped roles. It was a very similar experience here, except this wasn't an arena of twenty thousand. This was Sky Dome was sixty thousand, and it was unbelievable being on the floor of that for that moment. I can't imagine. And so I remember watching it on TV and being blown away. I can't imagine. Yeah. Especially being on the floor and just hearing and feeling that all around. It was unreal. And one year later, Hogan is still popular and he's from that match. He's still on a nostalgia tour. And that's what this was. He got a title run. He had a match with Brock Lesnar. Like he, that, that one night and that crowd gave Hulk Hogan at least another year, if not a couple more years of a run, making big money no, in, uh, in the WWF. People saw that. People wanted to experience it, and they wanted to have their own Hogan nostalgia moment. And so yes. he toured on that nostalgia for a year, playing all the greatest hits. Yeah. And and this is one year later, and I am on the floor at Safeco Field, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, I wanted to hear the hits one more time. And I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed. This match, I, I thought this was tons of fun. And it was far better than it had any right to be, <laughs> given that you had a a gigantic Hulk Hogan who could barely move and Vince McMahon who is roided to the gills and not a professional wrestler. No, Vince McMahon they, is, is borderline bigger than Hogan here. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the sheer force of, of the personalities of these two men and the decades-long emotional attachment, whether it be to, to the good or to the bad for each of these guys with the crowd, it, it carried them through this. Slapped to the face by Vince starts the match. Hogan takes him down, throws basically some terrible, a spear. Basically a spear, and then throws terrible punches from the mount. It's, it's all Hogan early, beating he down hits the Vince. axe bomber. I love when he hits the axe bomber. His old Japan finisher. His old finisher in New Japan, just the, the running clothesline where he basically just puts his arm out in a locked position and runs at you. <laughs> Vince Vince eventually gets control and starts working over Hogan's arm. The crowd starts cheering for Hogan, but Hogan's in his he's on his knees and he's losing a test of strength to Vince well, this, McMahon for a this, long time. Test of strength spot is longer than the cruiserweight title match. I think yes. it was there, and it, but it works. There's you know there's ebbs and flows, and Hogan almost powers out, and then Vince rakes his eyes or kicks him in the stomach. You know, yeah. Eventually, but I'm, like, I'm like, you know, come on, like th- this is Vince McMahon should not be 
like yeah, Hulk Hogan should power out of this. Uh, well, but then you know that's the whole strength. reason that Vince booked this match know, for himself so that this, he could he spot. could get one, even if he doesn't win the match, uh, that that he can get one over on Hulk Hogan in his mind and be winning a test of strength with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, the the yeah the the so there's a yeah kick to the gut. He throws Vince throws Hogan outside. Uh, the match is is pretty bad at this point, but it's about to pick up and get a lot more fun. Vince gets posted. Hogan nails Vince in the head with a chair and Vince waffles is, him. Absolutely waffled. kills him. Vince is busted open and it's a gusher. He is bleeding like like he's on Starcade 1986. It, it's uh or it, it's crazy. He's uh, he's bleeding everywhere. Hogan's punching the cut. It, it's absolutely gruesome. This is around the time, by the way, where they they inform us casually that uh, that they did a Montreal screw job uh, the previous month with Hogan and Vince uh, and Sil- And I guess that's where Sylvain yeah, Grenier that played into it. We didn't really get that much in the video feature, but they tell us that Hogan swings for McMahon's head with a chair. Vince ducks. And Hogan nails a, a member of the Spanish announce team. Yes, Hugo Savinovich gets, you talk about getting waffled, he gets obliterated here. He's bleeding. Uh, the trainers come out and take him away. Vince, with a low blow and a chair shot to Hogan's head, Hogan's bleeding now too. Then Vince throws Hogan into the cameraman, which I got to <laughs> chuckle him o- over. It, Hogan's on the announce table laid out. Vince gets a ladder, puts it next to the table. So between the yeah, two between, announce tables, yeah. he's he's got the ladder set up. He climbs to the top and then starts mocking Hogan, cupping the ear, and, and the crowd is angry. Bleeding profusely still at this point. And then he drops a leg off the ladder onto Hogan through the table. Both men are down. And this match has gotten so much better with all this craziness on the outside. Exactly. The second they stopped trying to do a wrestling match and said, just did a crazy hate filled brawl. Uh, this thing uh, kicks into high gear. Uh, we then, you know, Hogan, like you said, is bleeding. They're back in the ring. Vince goes for the cover twice. Hogan kicks out twice. Vince then goes out to the floor and gets a lead pipe. And then we get one of the all time great camera shots yes. in professional wrestling history. <laughs> Vince McMahon is like, as I said, he grabs the lead pipe. We switch from a camera uh, like looking from the announce table toward him. Instead, we have a camera that is looking from the other side of the ring across, and you just see slowly the bloody, demented face of Vince McMahon rise over the apron as he, you know, I believe Jim Ross says he looks like he's the devil himself, and he's (laughs) not wrong. This was from a production uh, and show direction standpoint, this was all the stars in the world. Oh, it was so great. Crazy Vince face. Great production. But Hogan with a low blow on Vince. Both men are down. The pipe is down. And Rowdy Roddy Piper enters the ring. He was in disguise, strips off his disguise. It's yeah, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Is he dressed Roddy as Piper. like a cameraman? Or is yeah, he, I think so. He's like dressed in all black. He looks like he's going to like go in a sauna and cut weight for a UFC show. I didn't quite understand what was going on there. But I still, guarantee he, the was reveal not was cutting, he was not cutting any weight based no. on the size of Piper. No. In this, uh, no. And so 
the place goes absolutely nuts for the yes. sighting of Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Who has, by the way, uh, for anyone who's listening, I assume will know, but if you don't, serious both uh, storyline and real-life history with Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan. And the, the idea here as he comes in is that he basically hates both guys more than anything in the world. So what is he going to do? Piper grabs the pipe and teases who he's, who's he going to hit with it, but everybody knows. And sure enough, he nails Hogan with it, tells Hogan to kiss his ass, and the people boo loudly. So Piper, again, cheered like crazy. People are excited to see the legend. Hits Hogan with a pipe. This is how popular Hogan was on this nostalgia tour, that just the act of attacking Hogan, people were booing Piper loudly out of the building. He leaves to a chorus of boos. Yes, and you can tell he's clearly loving it. As great as Roddy Piper was as a babyface, I'll take anything that gives me even 15 seconds here of Roddy Piper being the most hated man in the world. This was great. Vince for the cover. Hogan kicks out. Vince beats up referee Brian Hebner. Tries to throw him over the top yeah. rope. Doesn't really work out. And then he just ragdolls him. Yeah, you know. Like, I'm assuming Hebner probably got even more of a beating backstage afterward than he did here in the ring. But, yeah, Vince tries to throw him through the ropes. He gets hung up in the ropes. He grabs him again, ragdolls him, kicks him, and eventually gets him to the floor. Then waves to the entrance for referee Sylvain Grenier from Montreal, uh, who is out to, I'm, I'm assuming at this point, not call it right down the middle like Bill Alfonso would. <laughs> Vince hits Hogan again with the pipe. Vince with the Hulk Hogan leg drop onto Hogan, but Hulk's able to kick out and he begins to Hulk up. My only quibble with this match, he kicks out. If Sylvain Grania came in here, why is he just doing a normal count? Yeah. Why did he do a fast count? One, two, three. Yeah. yeah, We get a a super long 2.9 here. We don't even have a hint of a fast count from the crooked ref. That's my only quibble. I hate the crooked ref. It's always a, a logic gap. Um, he, he begins to Hulk up. The place goes absolutely insane for the Hulk up. This was the total nostalgia, the greatest hits, and the people were having fun. The, the finger wag, punch. Hogan throws out Sylvan. Three punches to Vince. Boot to the face. People want the leg drop. He teases it, teases it, nails it. Another one. A third leg drop. Hebner comes out for the three. Hogan wins. Hogan poses while the people eat up every single minute of it. Shane McMahon then makes his way down in a suit. Hogan invites Shane into the ring. Shane comes in to check on Vince as Hogan celebrates to the back. 20 minutes, 48 seconds of, of fun on a nostalgia tour. Yes, I, uh, I just I wrote down that was a wild, entertaining ride. And that's, yeah, I, I I was not looking forward to watching this again, having very little recollection of certain aspects of this show. Uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It was very fun. Live in the building. I remember now collapsing into my seat saying, <laughs> what a show, what a night. I am having a great time. And then the graphic appears on the screen. Holy crap, we still have Austin in the rock. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. that's that's what we meant earlier when we said this is a loaded roster and a star-studded show. You just had Hulk Hogan versus Vince McMahon. That is then followed by Steve Austin versus The Rock, which that isn't even the main event of this it, show. And we're still not to the main event, no. And the the video recap 
explains how Rock has never beaten Austin at Mania, but he's accomplished everything else. It's eating him, and, and he can't go back to Hollywood until he wins. The Rock has just an amazing entrance video. It's like a, it's a helicopter yes. over LA. And then you get a whisper that just says, is cooking. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you get a slowed down version of his theme song. This heel rock is the greatest thing ever. We yeah, took I, it for granted. Go back and watch some of this stuff. We, you, you took it for granted. You didn't appreciate it enough. It was absolutely fantastic stuff. Yes, that's what I was going to say that I I will still go to my grave saying that I can't stand face rock at all. But here as a heel, I I had thrown the baby out with the bathwater with the rock. He was so awesome here. He just everything he did uh, as a heel was fantastic. Uh, And my the one thing I wrote in my notes is these two men came out to the ring and the match was about to start. And you just see everybody standing, how insanely over both these guys are, how hot the crowd is for this match after the roller coaster ride that you and the other 54,000 people went through. It just dawns on me how wild it is to be watching this. And it's the last two legitimate megastars in North American pro wrestling uh, going at it still as regular characters, you know, on the TV show. And granted, that was, you know, not long for the world either in terms of them being regular characters, but it just watching this now, it felt like the end of something because as big of a deal as John Cena was as big of a deal. If you want to say as Roman reigns was slash is neither of those guys approached uh, the level uh, of mainstream cultural crossover and just megastar status that these two men did. No. And that's a great point. This was like, this was a transition because rock was going off to Hollywood and Austin this would be his last match. We, you know, us in the building, we didn't know that, that we had no idea that this was going to be the last time we'd see Stone Cold's entrance for a match because of his neck injury. It was, it was quietly known internally before the show that Mania was going to be his unannounced retirement match. And Austin had two vertebrae fused in late 1999 after suffering from spinal stenosis which is like a narrowing of the spine. The- Which was a an epidemic in, in the WWF at the time. Not only the guys that you mentioned that were out with neck injuries, but they talk uh, earlier on in the show when both Benoit and Rhino are introduced, yep. they were both themselves coming off recent uh, serious neck injuries and neck surgeries. And that's why Edge was out, as I, as yes. I mentioned at the beginning of part one of this episode. And uh Austin's condition worsened after his he he was injured in 1997's match with Owen Hart his uh, where he he broke his neck on the pile driver there his his C6 and C7 vertebrae were also in need of fusion at this point all Austin and so so this was this would be Austin's retirement match and none of us in the building knew it uh people backstage knew it rock knew it he- and he his was going to give it his all. His performance here, you know, sorry to jump over you. His performance here was that it was, it didn't betray his neck injury at all. For one, he comes in in incredible shape. Yep. And he he is Steve Austin in this match. He's doing moves. He's he's taking some bumps. He you're to the uninitiated, you're not looking at this and thinking this is a man who's wrestling his last match, which is I'm sure exactly how he wanted to go out. Exactly. And 
it was all Austin early from including going for a quick stunner, but the rock slips outside and you could just see rock super frustrated and angry as he's walking up the ramp, Austin right out after him. We get some brawling. It's just, it's awesome intensity. These two had an intensity early that was, you know, unmatched by, by most these, these guys are in a class of their own. Absolutely. And you, the other thing you could tell is that Jim Ross clearly knew that this was going to be Steve Austin's last match because he is, even by normal Jim Ross standards, he is putting in one of the performances of his life here and is is giving everything of his voice uh, and everything he can put into this, um, which, again, this match and these two guys are absolutely worthy of that, but it is it is notable uh, how, how hard Jim Ross goes here. Yeah, and I, I had never heard the play-by-play for this match. So I watching it here live, uh, you know, watching it live, I didn't get to hear it. So watching it on replay here, this was uh, just every bit of a classic JR performance, giving it everything that Austin deserved on his way out. And we had Austin beating on the rock all around ringside, referees admonishing Austin for choking rock. And while he's doing that, that gives rock the opportunity to chop block Austin from behind. He does it once, and then he also uh, he hits it a second time, if I'm not mistaken, right in front of the announcers. <laughs> There's a, another great line, or, or a great back and forth, if you can call it that, where uh, Lawler calls it a metal knee brace. And then Jim Ross is like, what the hell else would you make a knee brace out of? Cotton, Cotton candy? candy. <laughs> yeah. I lost it. I audibly started cackling on my couch, as I want to do from time to time while while uh, preparing to record this podcast as we watch these shows. Lawler then is clearly upset by this, and this is where he goes in hard on his This is WrestleMania, this is WrestleMania JR. as Come on. many times as humanly possible. And he's, again, he's saying it with a tilt in his voice at the end of the word WrestleMania that is clear that he is trying to get Jim Ross as angry as possible. Rock All con- the while, this epic historic match is taking place <laughs> around them. Rock continues to work over the leg of Austin. Austin fires back with right hands, but gets cut off with a kick by the Rock, who then taunts the fans, and he was hated. This was so great. Just commanding the fans' hatred. Absolutely. Sharpshooter by the Rock. Which, at this point, as he locks on the sharpshooter, I noted in my mind a few things. One, if he had just done the Scorpion King movie, why aren't they calling this the Scorpion Deathlock? True. Two. Uh, Jerry Lawler starts talking about Hollywood again. Jim Ross loses it and says, I don't care. Who cares about Hollywood? I don't care about puppies. It's about two of the best ever going at it in a wrestling ring. It's just, it was great. The rock drags Austin to the corner by the knee brace. I, this is one of those things we talk about in the podcast. We love the little things here. And yeah. this was a good one. The rock. We also learned Austin by that brace at this point that the knee brace definitely wasn't made of cotton candy. He wraps Austin's leg around the post. Rock then goes outside, puts on Austin's vest, mocking him. This gets Austin fired up. He comes firing back. Both men go down after a double clothesline. They kill each other with that double clothesline. That's, again, that's a spot you see often. This was, you know, Jim Ross likes to say, oh, this is like a car wreck out on I-95. This sounded like that. Thez pressed by Austin. Tons of punches from the mount. The Rock, he hits a clothesline and then does a kip-up. 
but walks right into Austin, who delivers a rock bottom on the rock. The place goes crazy, but only gets a two count. Austin goes for the stunner. Rock counters, hits Austin with a stunner of his own. They've each hit each other with their own finishes. Neither can get the win yet. Rock still has Austin's vest on this entire time. Yes. And, and Jerry Lawler is saying that he needs to take the vest off because he thinks that's why the Rock is losing in this match now. Yeah, nothing has gone right since he put that vest on. <laughs> that was a rare good Lawler line. I enjoyed that. Right hands by the Rock. Great punches by both guys in this match. These guys could, when they were brawling and they were throwing punches, these punches were great. And different punches too. Rock, different we've types, talked about yeah. it before. He had that like Scott Hall type of punch where you you uh, you open your hand at the very last second, so it makes that big slapping sound. But it happens so fast that it looks like a punch. Uh, whereas uh, Austin just has those you know great almost like sidearm right hands that just look like you're in a in a beer you know beer fueled brawl. Austin hits a stunner out of nowhere. And Rock was always the best at taking yep. a stutter. He bounces around. It's so great. Lips back. Uh, this there needs to be. You know, there's the Rick Rude uh, sells the atomic drop. <laughs> there's this Stephen Regal makes faces or whatever. So there there needs to be a Rock sells the stunner. Uh, I don't know how many uh, gifts there could be, but if it's if there's not a lot of uh, quantity, it would be made up for in quality. Absolutely. This was this was so great. Places on its feet. But the Rock kicks out after that stunner. It was a great near fall. Austin tries to take the vest off of Rock, but Rock nails him with a low blow. The Rock goes for the people. Well, Austin elbow. throws he throws Hebner down because Hebner's trying to keep him from getting at Rock and the ropes. Austin thro- kind of throws Hebner to the side, and in that split second, uh, Rock is able to hit the low blow. The Rock goes for the people's elbow, but misses. A stunner attempt countered into a spine buster the vest is off and he hits the people's elbow at this point i note that and this is the understatement of the year but the the crowd is absolutely living and dying with this match which again (laughs) is incredible given what the emotional uh yeah i told you how exhausted i was going into this match and yeah we were right back on the roller coaster (laughs) so Austin kicks out after the people's elbow. Everyone's on their feet, like you mentioned, going crazy. Rock bottom by the rock. Austin kicks out. At this point, Lawler is losing his mind. Like, or not Lawler, excuse me, Ross Ross, is absolutely losing his mind. He's just, again, you're, you're seriously wondering if his voice is going to go out at any point. Disbelief on the rock's face with this kick out. Austin fights out of the rock bottom. But Rock is able to hit another one. No, Austin kicks out again. And yeah, JR is going absolutely crazy. Putting this over as, as what an epic battle it is. It made And putting this... over Austin trying to get up. Yes. Trying to get up. He'll he'll never he'll never give up on you. He'll never give up on anyone. Yes, this match is amazing. I'm having such a great time rewatching this. Austin fights his way up. And the Rock hits a third Rock bottom, this time for the win. And before he hits it, though, it's great. He he locks, he locks sort of locks him in position for the Rock bottom and kind of looks around and takes it all in, then hits him <laughs> with the third one and gets the win. Just, yeah, fantastic wrestling, fantastic storytelling, great announcing from Jim Ross, uh, even with Lawler trying his hardest to drag it down. You... 
you get the Rock celebrating, and then you can see Rock say something to Austin as he's celebrating. I'd love to know what he what he said right there, but uh, it was it was awesome. Rock celebrates. He goes to the back. Austin then gets his moment. He's able to salute the crowd with his middle fingers at the top of the stage, saying goodbye to the WWE audience. 17 minutes, 53 seconds. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was... Ross says this is two of the greatest the business has ever seen. They gave you absolutely everything they had, and you certainly can't argue with that. This, uh, in some ways, it absolutely should have been the end of the show. It's insane that anyone had to follow that. Um, but yeah, I I had not completely remembered that this was in fact the final match for Steve Austin until uh, you know they hit his music and like you said, he celebrated in the entranceway. And yeah, it's. And they you never could, said it. They never said it no. at all in the broadcast. You, you, the next night on Raw, he was, quote, fired by Bischoff, uh, and, and that was it. He was gone. Yeah, and it was it was in some ways a fitting end for Austin to not have you know the big in-ring send-off just for that character. You know, who knows if that would have really uh, – if that would have worked. You know, I mean, I'm sure it would have been great, but it just wouldn't have fit the Austin character. But this was – it really was in a lot of ways, a perfect match for what these two guys were, what they had meant to the company, what they had meant to overall to wrestling. And the fact that this was Austin's send off uh, in a lot of ways, rock send off as far as him being a full-time wrestler and eventually going to Hollywood full-time this uh, it delivered 100%. And now if you can believe it, we still have the main event to come here. WWE championship. The champion is Kurt Angle. The challenger is Brock Lesnar. We get a video package showing Lesnar winning the Royal Rumble. That was an awesome Royal Rumble, by the way. If you want to go back and watch a fun Rumble, the uh, the 2003 Rumble of uh, Lesnar winning, that was great. Uh, Angle, we're told, can lose the title on a DQ or countout. So let's. We we talked at the beginning of part one. I told you about how injuries were the story of 2003. Let's talk about Kurt Angle's condition going into this match. As reported by Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Angle needs to undergo neck fusion surgery. It is believed Angle has four herniated discs. Two of them are pressing on his spinal cord, which has caused nerve damage on his left arm and shoulder, which you could you could see in this match when he comes out that the muscles were atrophying on his left side and Michael Cole even brought it up that he's dropped weight to, uh, to be quicker in this match. Yeah. They said that he had cut seven pounds to be quicker. And yeah, he, he still physically like at first glance looked great, but when you looked closer, yes, you could tell that one side was smaller uh, than the other. The surgery was originally scheduled for March 17th, this show being on March 30th, but it's being moved to early April. The The original plan for the WWE Championship was the title would change hands on March 11th, Kurt Angle losing to Brock Lesnar in Pittsburgh, which didn't happen because Angle himself asked Vince McMahon on March 10th to allow him to do the match at WrestleMania. Angle went to all the key parties, Lesnar, Chris Benoit, who was to get the spot at Mania to challenge Lesnar. 
as well as Kurt Angle had to talk to his wife about making this decision. McMahon was expecting that Angle would change his mind at the end, but he didn't. And Angle would go to the ring at WrestleMania with limited strength on the left side of his body and being in extreme neck pain. So we mentioned earlier Chris Benoit was in the tag team title match. He would have been, they would have had, uh, if if Kurt had gone and done his neck surgery, he would have lost to Lesnar at the SmackDown show. Lesnar would come into Mania as champion and defend against Chris Benoit. But instead, Kurt Angle is going to fight through this pain. So Angle's out first. We get tons of pyro for him. Michael Cole is is losing his voice at this point. Lesnar comes out. He's got his ribs taped up, and we're alerted to the fact that this is Lesnar's first WrestleMania, and he's in the main event of his first WrestleMania. And what a performance this guy lived up to. In in, in your first WrestleMania being in the main event, Lesnar did a, an amazing job, and Kurt Angle was a was an absolute monster to to be able to power through the, that neck pain to, in, in this match. If you didn't know that he had neck problems going into this, you would have had no idea the way that Angle wrestled this match. Yeah, absolutely. No, he was he was fantastic. He looked great. And yeah, there was nothing that would indicate that this was a guy who needed serious surgery and really shouldn't have been in the match. We also had in the, uh, in the video feature, they showed us where uh, on SmackDown, and maybe that was that Pittsburgh show that you talked about where... The Eric Angle... Yeah. Yes. Where where was it was show. it was Angle. It was supposed to be Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle for the uh, WWE title, and Angle comes out with his you know he's wearing his warm up jacket with a hood up. Lesnar comes out immediately, bull rushes him, hits him with the F five, and goes to pin him. Uh, but then the uh, right as it's about to be a three count, he gets up because he sees Team Angle out on the uh, out on the entranceway. At that point. Kurt Angle then comes into the ring, rolls out this mystery man, lays down like he's, you know, he's hurt. But then when when Lesnar goes to cover him, he's not hurt. He beats Brock Lesnar. And then we learn that it is, in fact, his brother, Eric Angle, who was in the <laughs> ring at the start of the match. And that's sort of how they got out of that advertised world title match then. Lockups and back and forth early. These guys were so quick. And they're, they were doing all their amateur wrestling and reversals. Awesome. So awesome. Angle gets the advantage by going after the injured ribs of Lesnar. Angle hits a German suplex, and Lesnar pops right up. Angle goes to whip Lesnar to the corner, but Lesnar counters with a press slam. Like, wow, yeah. like, wow what a counter. That's, that's not what you expect off a, a whip into the corner to be just pulled into a press slam. Absolutely well, impressive. How, how about before that, I would make the argument the loudest shoulder block that I've ever heard sure. in my life. <laughs> yeah. Kurt Angle goes running at Brock Lesnar with a shoulder block full speed. He hits him, and it sounds like a gun goes off, and he just bounces off Lesnar and falls to the mat. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Angle with a kick to the ribs allows him to get control. He grabs Lesnar and gives him a German suplex into the buckles. It looks at which point we terrifying. get we, we get Michael Cole talking about another one of his his Cole isms is a high and tight suplex because <laughs> like he hears Taz say something legit about a suplex and then he has to say it but not use it right. It, the German suplex into the buckle it looked brutal. It was terrifying because if you if you took it wrong 
it would be wildly dangerous. But yes, if you take he it, took it very well though. He, he took it he well. Took it, yeah, and it made me want to see that someone should bring that move back. Uh, I thought that was yeah, so very cool. You see it a lot, like in Japan or in the indie scene, and it's it never looks a as good as this, and more more so, it never looks as safe as this. As safe a lot of times, yes. guys do it, and it it looks like instant death. Whereas here, it looked great, but he he hits high enough or in a, in a safe enough spot on his back that there really isn't going to be any injury, but it still is visually spectacular. After that spectacular move, it's all angle after that. Angle gets Brock in a choke, almost like a rear naked choke on the ground. And then Angle turns it into a camel clutch type move. But well, yeah, he has this the freestyle bow and arrow where you kind of have you have almost a rear naked choke, but then you also have one of the legs hooked in almost a an STF uh, sort of step over toe hold type position. And then, yeah, he transfers from that into this camel clutch type move, but he has one knee in the back of Lesnar as he's pulling up uh, on the back of of the neck. Yeah. In a normal camel clutch, you'd be straddling the back of of Lesnar, but he's, yeah, he's sitting to the side and he's got his knee buried into the back, into the Brock's injured ribs as he's pulling back on Brock's head. This was absolutely cool. We should also note at this point that while the crowd isn't chanting boring and they're not leaving, this is the point to where we finally see the emotional exhaustion We're of the crowd tired. here yeah. <laughs> as they, they react to the big suplexes. But outside of that, like in this particular spot that you're talking about this long uh, submission hold first, the freestyle bow and arrow into that modified, you know, rear chin lock camel clutch. They're clearly trying that, that is a spot that is designed to get the crowd to rally behind Brock Lesnar. And they keep going with it and keep going with it in hopes that they'll get that response. And they don't. So they finally just, you know, go up and continue. Yeah. And the way they continue is by Brock powering out. He stands up and rams Kurt back first twice into the buckles before yes, breaking the hold. Angle is on his back, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, rear naked choke style, both legs off the mat, wrapped around the hooks are in. And Lesnar just runs full speed back first, uh, Angle back first into the corner. Uh, this is one of those deals where it looks like, well, if Angle's back wasn't bothering him before, it would be now. One of my favorite spots right here, Kurt with a running knee to Brock's back, knocks him out to the floor. Well, he hits him with two of them, if I remember correctly. He hits him with one, it doesn't knock him out, and then he hits him again, and yeah, that knocks him out to the floor, and, and things pick up from there. Back in the ring, Brock battles back with power moves, multiple belly-to-belly overhead suplexes. So far in this match, Kurt Angle is so great. He's better than you remember listening to this show right now. Yes, Absolutely. And especially when you know how hurt he was in this match, he's way better than you remember. And this also doesn't necessarily fall into that angle pattern uh, that I feel like, you know, there's a lot of his big matches. They're great, but they're very, very similar. This didn't feel exactly like that. No. And, and Brock was doing more wrestling moves than you would think of. If you're just thinking of a modern Brock Lesnar match, he was doing a ton of wrestling moves and, Brock is a really talented pro wrestler. <laughs> he yes. can do this is, he can do these moves to perfection. This was not like post MMA career suplex no. city Brock Lesnar, which is still entertaining in its own way. But yeah, this was a much more varied offense from Brock Lesnar. Yeah, Brock was so talented for how young he was. 
absolutely unbelievable at this point. Well, it, he was, it, and he had been in the company for a couple of years at this point, as far as being on TV, but he, it, it, it felt like it was almost a year. It was a long period of time where they were using him in dark matches, uh, but not actually putting him on TV, but still, yeah, to step in and immediately be as great as he was. Uh, it's not something you normally see. Angle hits four rolling German suplexes. An awesome, now with an injured neck. Yeah. <laughs> so a little terrifying there, but uh, awesome exchange where Kurt goes for the angle slam. It gets countered into an F5 attempt, which is countered into the ankle lock. Angle. Well, and it's not like countered into the ankle lock, but it's beautifully countered into it. He hits this inside trip. It's like ankle pick. Yeah, the way he A yeah. is great, and B Taz freaks out about how awesome <laughs> it is, which yeah. I love. A, yeah, the the way he did that counter the F five angle, he basically puts Lesnar in a front face lock, and then does the inside trip to Lesnar taking him down. The, yes, it was such smooth transitions between these counters. It was unbelievable. It was so great to watch. Kurt he charges in for another knee to Lesnar. But Lesnar backdrops him high in the air over the top rope to the and floor. Almost nobody in wrestling took better over the top rope bumps than Kurt Angle. He was the master of, we talk about things that look dangerous, but aren't or look like they hurt, but really don't. He takes these wild, crazy over the top bumps, but then at the very end lands in a very safe manner. Super controlled. It, yeah. Yes. Back in the ring, Kurt hits a release German. And Ugh. Lesnar does a complete flip landing face first. Unbelievable. Angle follows it up with an angle slam, but Lesnar kicks out. This was the first time someone had kicked out of an angle slam. This was one of the, the problems that I had with Michael Cole on this show, though. He, you just said that with more passion <laughs> uh, and intensity than Michael Cole did. He just says so casually, I believe that's the first time anyone has kicked out of the angle slam. As we're here in the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So, uh, Kurt goes for another one. Lesnar rolls him up for a two count. Brock picks up Angle, nails an F5, two count only. But not a kick out. He, Kurt just rolled the shoulder up. This was a great near fall. The place, you, you were talking about the place was a little quiet earlier. They were catching their breath. This, this is, got him back. This got him. This this near fall, the, the crowd pops huge for this one. Can we also note this was another time where a finisher got hit. It took a few seconds to cover, <laughs> and the guy kicked out. Yeah, sorry, Booker. Everybody other than Booker T apparently gets to do that. Ankle lock one more time by Angle. Lesnar to the ropes. An angle slam is countered into another F5, and the crowd is on its feet at this point. Lesnar begins to climb to the top rope. I am in my seat, and I turn to my friend Jeff sitting next to me, and I, I knew he was going to go for the shooting star press here. Which he did, by the way. He had never busted it out in on WWF television, WWE television, but he did it somewhat regularly in OVW. In OVW. So people had been... People we were waiting for years. We yes. knew he could do this, and we were wondering when he was going to bust it out. And yeah, as he hits the F5 and doesn't well, go for the pin and starts to look toward the top rope. He never would all... climb to the top rope, so you no. knew this was it. And, yes. And I am literally screaming from my seat. He's too <laughs> far away. He's well, yeah, he's three away. quarters of the way across the ring, and that's not an exaggeration. No, he was so far away, and I, I'm screaming it from my seat. <laughs> And 
Lesnar goes for because I the corner that Lesnar did the shooting star press from is my seat was four rows behind that post. So like I am I have the perfect view of this, and I'm like he's too far away. You're basically and, his manager at this point. Yes, I'm screaming. No, he does not listen to me, and so he he goes <laughs> to the top. He goes for the shooting star press. He comes up short. From my seat, I have the reverse angle of what the camera shows. Okay, so the, the camera's showing Lesnar do the, doing the shooting star press, coming up short. Yeah, it, the camera is shooting from the opposite side of the ring of you. So the camera is shooting, and it's seeing Lesnar coming toward. Uh, you're seeing Lesnar come toward you, whereas you, where you were sitting, Lesnar is going away from you. And as I would imagine, as he's landing. You have a perfect view of him spiking himself at first. Going head first. And I, I screamed. I howled that like I thought he broke his neck from the from the my angle. I thought he oh, broke yeah. his neck. It I, I don't think I you know, it was from the camera's angle, it looked nasty, but it didn't look as absolutely terrifying. Once you see the yeah, live. the replay they show after the match is when you get an angle somewhat uh, similar to what you had live. Oh my and god! And you really so see scary. how bad it was. But I do recall watching this on pay per view and freaking out. Like you know, obviously not as much as you were there no, live. I thought he just, di- I thought he broke his neck. Yeah. I, I was, oh, I did too. I was a hundred percent convinced that he broke his neck. A hundred percent convinced. Angle is being so smart immediately goes for the cover because Brock missed the shooting star press, right? So Angle yeah. goes for the cover immediately, and which was smart. Lesnar kicks out. And I'm sure that Lesnar was supposed to win there. So it yes. was quick thinking by Angle. Kurt picks Lesnar up, boot to the stomach. We get an F5 by Lesnar for the three count. New WWE champion, but we're not celebrating. We're all concerned for the health of Brock here. Well, they show the replay and Taz screams and says, and I quote, how is Le- Lesnar not dead? And I'm sitting here agreeing completely. <laughs> Lesnar, meanwhile, they show him in the corner trying to get up. He's bleeding a little bit from his nose. Oh, and his face looks, is messed up. No, his- he's completely out of it. Like the, the lights are on, but nobody's home. His eyes are just complete. He's gone. Yes. He's got a matte burn on his face. There's blood coming down from his nose his eyes are completely glassed over he doesn't get up he's just sitting in the corner yeah angle comes over and helps him up they embrace as the fireworks go off and we end the show this show is amazing i love this show it holds up just as well as as i remember it live it was so much fun after the show, however, <laughs> Lesnar would be carried out. So, like, you, it went off well, the so air. I thought when, so, why I'm laughing is because you say after the show, what do we get after the actual live action ends? We get an immediate video package recapping the show with yet more Limp Biscuit. No, no, no. Yeah, see, live in the building, we get Lesnar carried out on a stretcher and taken to a oh, hospital. Wow. Yikes. So he, a bit he, more of a downer. Yeah, he ended up spending the night in the hospital. And he was lucky to only have a sore neck and a concussion. 20 minutes, four, 21 minutes, four seconds for this match. This match was, it would have been the match of the night if we if if the finish didn't bring it down a little bit because we were just so concerned for the health of Brock Lesnar. Uh, this would have been the match of the night. It was unbelievable. And, and these guys were able to follow 
Hogan Vince, and they were able to follow Rock and Austin, and they I thought they delivered. I loved everything about this match. It was so progressive in 2003. It was absolutely fantastic. I I thought it was very good. I didn't necessarily I think you might be a little bit higher on it than I was. Again, I think for me it might be, well, A, I wasn't there live, and then B, I think if this match had happened on a normally uh structured show where you didn't have two exhausting main events before <laughs> yes. that and you had the the crowd reaction that the match deserved i think it maybe would have felt uh a little bit uh better than it did Very but true. no i mean if this it was... had the crowd if it had it, yeah if it had gone on earlier and had uh more of crowd reaction absolutely i think it'd be remembered if this well. was like the main event of SummerSlam or the main event of well i won't say the royal rumble because the rumble match goes on last but the main event of a major pay-per-view that didn't have austin and the rock and hogan and vince beforehand i think it you know I, I maybe even have a higher opinion of it but no very good action uh very entertaining show like i said a few things that i absolutely despised out uh, yes. from the show but by and large um I mean, I would have to go back and watch other WrestleManias, but I can't think of too many that had more. No. Uh, top to bottom. Uh, yeah, top to bottom, both good, you know, good fast-paced action early, and then three main events that all delivered in completely different ways. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to find outside of the 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 abhorrent Triple H Booker T storyline and announcing and the way that played out and the the dumb cat fight thing. Outside of that, you really can't find too much to fault with this show, if really anything. So things that you didn't see watching this on television that happened in the arena. Uh, so John Cena actually made an appearance in arena. He, uh, he, he was supposed to challenge a couple famous rappers to a rap battle, but no one showed up. So he did his raps with cardboard cutouts of the other rappers on the stage. Wow. Uh, fabulous was his scheduled antagonist, but he pulled out two days before the show live. It was super fun. And this was John Cena's first WrestleMania appearance. And I really enjoyed uh, that, that, that action. And, and Cena had made the proclamation that he would be in the main event of WrestleMania as soon as next year while he, he did not make it to the main event next year. He would be in one of the main event matches in WrestleMania 21. Yeah, and it's pretty cool symmetry that that his first WrestleMania appearance was the last WrestleMania appearance and last match of Steve Austin. It was a, it, it was a perfect uh, encapsulation of the transition that was happening here. Exactly. And the other thing that aired in the arena, we got a Goldberg video package in the arena announcing that Goldberg was coming to WWE oh, after wow. this event. So how did the crowd react to that? It, uh, the guys next to us were, were not Goldberg fans, but <laughs> the majority of the arena was, was thrilled. Uh, so I assumed that the guy who didn't like Goldberg also liked limp biscuit. So I don't take his opinion, <laughs> uh, take it with a grain of salt, but I think that uh, Goldberg uh, coming to WWE got a huge reaction and it was believed that uh, Rock's agreement to stay on for an extra month after this WrestleMania, after this WrestleMania, and work the Backlash pay per view was largely predicated on Goldberg signing. Rock hmm. had been the major impetus in getting the deal done, as both McMahon and Goldberg were at first reluctant about it. Rock helped make that happen. So, 
Goldberg and how WWE screwed up Goldberg coming. That's that's another podcast. Well, I recall a uh, a backstage segment in one of Goldberg's first nights in where he did a, a back and forth with Goldust. Yes. And Goldust put a wig on him and he just stood there and let it happen. And I remember sitting there watching like, oh, yeah, OK, this is the exact moment where they killed Goldberg. I didn't think that was possible, but they're capable of anything, apparently. So this show, it was incredible how deep this talent roster was. So many legit Hall of Famers on this show. Uh, I was surprised that it did so poorly uh, with with the the amount of, of buys and 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 everything going into the show. I wonder if it was the Vince Hogan stuff that didn't draw well, or if Angle and Lesnar just didn't have the mainstream appeal. I I don't know. Well, wh- I think why too, this, this was, show wasn't a success. This was still also at the height or. Height is the right way to put it, but I can just think back to how I felt at this time. And granted, I did order it, but I don't think you can you can put a fine enough point on how disillusioned people who have been longtime fans of WCW and of ECW sure. were at this point with wrestling and the direction it had taken, with those two companies dying and then just being buried six feet under by the WWE. And if you were a, a non WWF slash WWE fan growing up and they were the ones who won in that presentation was, was what won. I think for some people, they, they needed a break and some people came back years later. And as we've seen, as years have gone by, a lot of people never did. Best match for you on the show. Rock Austin, I think by far. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in the show. I, I really like Jericho Michaels and maybe just strictly from in ring work. Like I said, particularly the second half of the show, but just Austin Rock was very, very good in ring. And then just the the drama of those two guys, like I said, the, the scene of the, the last two true megastars in wrestling and then Jim Ross just, just making that match, uh, taking it to an even higher level, I would have to go with that. For me, it's, it's Jericho Michaels. It probably would have been Angle Lesnar if not for the letdown at the end. But Jericho Michaels live and on the rewatch is so great the storytelling in that match is so great the build-up to that match every i loved everything about the the delivery and the presentation of this match jericho michaels for me hands down uh rocking Austin. There, there's no wrong answer here there are so many great matches to choose from on this show uh if you're gonna go back and watch and you're gonna pick and choose go out of your way for jericho michaels go out of your way for rocking austin and 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 treat yourself to the main event as well i'd say Absolutely. Now, as far as worst match goes, I have no problem saying that even though the the in-ring work of the match was fine, it's Booker T versus Triple H. Nothing nothing infuriated me more than that on the show or on anything we've reviewed yet on this podcast and probably anything that I've watched in my 36 years in watching professional wrestling. The announcing was terrible from from Lawler. Uh, The... The storyline itself was horrendous. The finish buried Booker six feet under. This was absolutely terrible all around. But the match was actually like I enjoyed the, the match. match. Was fine. It was fine. I uh, the match I did not enjoy was Undertaker against Big Show and A Train. Uh, yeah. So for me, that's, if, that's my worst match. Uh, that would be for me if if if. Booker and Triple H, that match didn't do to me what it did. Yeah, everything no, surrounding it. Yeah, I think in ring work clearly uh, that match, the the Undertaker match, was the the uh, the worst of the lot. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. But top to bottom, I'd say you know 
it's hard pressed to find a better WrestleMania. I think this was, this was one of the best uh, of all time. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. A reminder, every single Thursday, we will post on social media what event that week's episode will cover. So make sure you're following us on all the social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram. That's the best way to interact with the show at wrestle at random, facebook.com slash wrestling at random as well. All of the links for social media, for subscribing to the podcast, for the entire back catalog can all be found at the website wrestlingatrandom.com. Please subscribe, rate and review. If you have a positive review, please leave it. If you've got feedback and criticisms, you send that to us on Twitter. You don't post that on the iTunes and Apple Podcast reviews. Save that for the positive reviews. Give us the, the feedback on the Twitter and make sure you tell your wrestling fan friends about us. Tell your laps fan friends about us that haven't listened to a show. I've got, I've got people listening to the show that haven't listened to wrestling since the, the late 90s. And they, they're enjoying the back catalog of, of, of our show. So make sure you tell your friends about us. We rely on that word of mouth to continue to spread the word about this show. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Adam, any last thoughts? I don't know. I just I would agree that this was a this was a great show. I feel like we're uh, getting on the right track. The randomizer has done us pretty well these last two shows after forcing us to watch Batch of the Beach 2000. So hoping uh, having my fingers crossed that when we post on Thursday, it will be good news. But if not, it'll likely be a terrible show. And those are almost as much fun to review. So good times. <laughs> Absolutely. It's definitely good times. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you again 